Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Trumpets, and I'm joined today by Richard Spanners Ready. How's it going, Spanners? Thanks for letting me participate in today's show. Uh, it's really great to be part of the crew. Thanks for having me. Uh, really looking forward to discussing some F1 news. I jest, of course, but thank you, Matt. I really felt like doing an F1 podcast tonight. I did not feel like organizing and emceeing one. So thank you for doing the donkey work. Yes, well, frankly, after all your begging and groveling, I felt like I really just had no choice at this point. In any event, before I introduce our guest, or should I say we introduce our guest, Matthew Carter, I should tell everyone that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before our Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And so now it falls to me to welcome our very own Matthew Carter back to the shed. How's it going? And hey, fancy new digs there. Yes, it's going very well. Thank you very much. I'm in, uh, I'm in my office uh, downtown Montreal. So yeah, it's all good. Oh, all good, huh? No thoughts at all. That's just it. Show over. All good. <laughs> Nothing going on here. Nothing to see. Move along. Move along. Or maybe think of something to talk about. I'm not sure. All right. Well, perhaps we should dive right into it then. I think Spanners would like to talk about a few driver relationships to get the show started. Well, I thought it would be a good opportunity with uh, Mr. Carter on to ask, you know, how drivers uh, get along and Really, I think my key question would be, if you could take a team over and and say, right, you're entering in 2022, looking at the driver market now, would you go for a model like Mercedes have gone for, where they've said, oh, our drivers are equal, oh, we'll let them do whatever, whatever they want, or would you go more for a kind of the traditional Ferrari number one, number two driver? Because I just think Mercedes keep getting themselves in knots over drivers. Um. 
Hang on, what's the what's the question? So the question is that we've got Mercedes budget, or are we are we a startup team? Or you're, we, you're, uh, oh, that's good. The... No, no, we should frame that. So you're a startup team, but obviously you're within the new budget cap, which we're going to pretend definitely helps. Uh, you've got salary to pay drivers. What model do you go for in driver relationships? The one-two or equal status? I think if again, so okay, if you're in a front-running team, I think the one-two thing does work definitely. Um, um where we were at lotus equal status was really how it was on paper um but it it really depends it's so dependent on the two drivers and it's so dependent on the time of the season it's so dependent on uh, on all sorts of things um i think generally they should have equal status um but then things like pit stops and strategy should then be sort of borne out during the race i think that's probably the best way to approach it because you just don't know what's going to happen but certainly as the season goes on and it's rare to have two drivers really remain very, very close in the points and in terms of results, as as one driver starts to gain ascendancy, is it a normal thing for the team to kind of focus a little bit more on that person as you get later into the season? Or is that something or do you actively work against it so that the driver that's maybe behind a little bit? doesn't feel like they're being left out in the cold or is that just down to who the team principal is and like what kind of person yeah, they are? I mean, it's it, honestly, it's, it's such a hard question to answer because it really depends on, um, it depends on the, it, what's going on at that time. So if one driver is particularly strong and he's scoring all the points for you, then obviously you're going to be more favorable to putting new parts onto his car so that he can continue to do what he's doing. If both drivers are fairly even, you have to remember that from a, and I know this is a, an age-old sentence that I'm about to say, but from a team's point of view, it's all about the constructors and not the drivers' championship. So, to a larger extent, you don't really care who's ahead of who in terms of points. It's who's going to score you the most points on that weekend. So, um, let's just say that one of your drivers is particularly good at Monaco. Then you would maybe give him some preference in Monaco, give him some better parts in Monaco. Um, if one of your drivers is on a particularly good run, then maybe you'll favour that driver. Um, I think it's quite rare these days for an actual contract to say that you are the number one driver. Um, maybe a little bit more um, normal in the big teams, but certainly not in the uh, sort of from I don't know third downwards. I would say that um, drivers are of equal status, um, certainly at the start of the season. It's interesting to hear you say that because I would definitely, if I was a team boss, I would 100% have my superstar driver and my, my backup driver. Like, What's the disadvantage to doing that? Because I, I reckon like, if you have a rookie come in and they're kind of okay, uh, but they're not playing ball, then I would just say, okay, good. Oh, oh, oh well done. You, you scored a sucker punch against the lead driver. Oh, but unfortunately, your update has been held up in transit. Just so they know who's boss. But I don't know, I just feel like having that one-two structure really does, it's like a rank system in, you know, like in a military organisation. And if the younger driver starts doing better, yes, you can, you know, promote him. But it just doesn't ever seem to work out with the equal status guys. I mean, there's there's also um, developing the car-wise is is difficult as well. If you've got a superstar and a, for want of a better word, a rookie, then it's difficult for the team to develop the car. And I think if in a roundabout sort of way, we're trying to talk about Mercedes, I have a feeling that's one of the reasons that Bottas kept his seat. Um, I think he's a, what's the best way to put it? A safe pair of hands. 
Um, they know he's not going to do anything stupid. They know he's not going to be uh, erratic, which is something that can happen even with uh, very, very talented young drivers. Um, so, you know, I've said it before, but consistency is key in Formula One. You know, if you can, if you know that you've put a part on a car and that part's going to make a difference and it's not the driver that's making the difference, then, uh, then that's what you'll do. So um, I think consistency is key. I think that's why they stuck with Bottas. Um, in the top teams, maybe you do favor. But then again, the top teams tend to have an unlimited supply of parts as well. So it's not as if they're having to yeah. really uh, choose between one and the other. Where we were, we were, you know, we may only have one of the new front wing. So um, it was always a case of, do we give it to uh, Pastor and maybe not see it again? Or do we give it to Roman? Tough choice. <laughs> So I'm curious to ask, um, just to follow up on Spanner's point real quick there, it would seem to me that like it might also be a psychology thing. Like if I join the team and I know my job is to finish second, well, when it's my job to finish first, I'm still likely just going to finish second because like psychologically, that's where I am. I know I'm not, you know, I know I'm just cleaning up the crumbs at that point. I mean, wouldn't you want a driver who, even if they knew they weren't capable of doing as well as the other driver, still absolutely wanted to win given any opportunity whatsoever i i think you may don't underestimate but maybe you do underestimate slightly how drivers brains works i don't think there's any of them that actually think they're a number two um (laughs) and that's just kind of a racing driver's mentality i think you could probably ask anyone on the grid if they would uh compete with lewis in the mercedes and they'd probably all say yes um and i think valtteri probably does feel that he's had a real um a real string of bad luck and that uh, given the right car on the right day at the right time, he can beat Lewis, which he has done in the past. Um, so I don't think there's anyone that physically goes out there and says, uh, I'm happy to be a number two driver. Um, Mark Webber famously did that, made the, made the comment, didn't he, about not bad for number two driver because he felt he was being treated as number two and he wasn't. So um, I don't think any of them go out there with the specific notion that they're going to be a number two driver. I think Valtteri understands his position at Mercedes. Um, but it just became a whole lot more difficult for Toto, I think, after the weekend. Wait, wait, hang on. How did it become more difficult for 2022 or for 2021? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, driver's contract is a driver's contract is a driver's contract. I, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would seem to me that if he genuinely wanted to put, uh, well, hang on, let's rewind a little bit. I think genuinely <laughs> uh, he probably wouldn't have expected Russell to be um, better or to finish or to, to, or to have a better race, let's put it that way, than Bottas. Um, and I think that may have put some pressure on, because uh, surely Russell's not going to be happy to go back to Williams. Um, you know, he's had a taste of the, he's had a taste of the big time and uh, he wants to prove that he can do it. So um, I think Toto's got some decisions to make. Um, he has only got one driver signed up for next year. Um, so who knows? Ooh, that's intriguing. Um, and what do you make of the, um, I, I know I saw the rumor on Twitter. What do you make of this? Suddenly Red Bull might be um, sniffing around Russell just to give Mercedes a hard time. Uh, I, I don't read much into that, to be perfectly honest. I think <laughs> um, George has always has been a Mercedes driver for a long time and he's got a lot of loyalty to Mercedes and to Toto and to, and to the program. So I don't think he would necessarily be looking elsewhere. Um, but uh yeah, I, I mean, I, George has been told for a long time that he's going to go into uh, that he's going to yeah. get into the top seat or in, get into the the, the main team. Um, I think it's just a question of of when. 
So if you're George Russell's agent, you would definitely, definitely spread rumours that you might be going to Red Bull right now. Well, yeah, that's kind of how these things work. Yep. So um, a lot of people have said, uh, oh, drivers' contracts, they're, they're like um, rice paper and they can dissolve away. Is it really that easy to just drive a bus through drivers' contracts? I think what we're really asking is, is Bottas safe? He has a contract for next year. So did Perez. Yeah, exactly. I think um, it's like any contract, really. Um, there are, you know, it, it's a contract, it's an agreement, but, you know, there's always a number in there. Um, you can genuinely buy out a contract. Um, Valtteri's only been given one-year deals for the last few years. So I think worst-case scenario, if Mercedes turned around to Valtteri and said, we're going to pay you up for your full year um, and you're going to get a seat in, for example, a Williams, I think he would be... Uh, he'd be a little bit silly or a little bit naive not to not to accept that. Uh, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, but, you know, as you just said, you know, Perez had a contract um, and uh, it's it's fairly easy to to move people if the if the want is there. Well, I mean, Ferrari famously paid Raikkonen not to race for quite some time, if I'm remembering correctly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But would you? I mean, you talk about it being a difficult choice for, for Toto now in terms of, in terms of do they bring Russell in or try and bring him in now or do they try and get him to wait another year? What would you do in that situation? Because it seems like to me that regardless of the actual data of it, the optics of it really seem to have changed in favor of Russell. And and like as you point out, it's going to look, it's a difficult position for him to be in, especially if he really did want to bring Russell in with the new regulations into the new car. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's, uh, from the minute it was announced, I felt, um, I felt it was going to be, it was going to make things difficult, whatever happened. You know, there was, there was the possibility of it, if it all going terribly wrong and people saying that George was, uh, was not who everyone thinks he is, or if it went particularly well, then there was going to be questions about Lewis. Um, the way that yeah. it went, there's been questions, there's questions about Valtteri as well as Lewis, you know, it's, yeah. It was a difficult one, and it's one of the reasons I thought that they were probably going to go um, go with Van Dorn. Um, but they did what they did, and and George was 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 great. You know, he did everything that um, he was asked to do, um, and I I genuinely think it's put a little bit of pressure on all concerned. You know, I, I don't think you can underestimate the uh, the impact this could potentially have on Lewis as well. Um, you know, his stock is not as high as it was uh, four or five days ago. Um, if he was in the heat of negotiations with Mercedes-Benz um, and he was sitting there and saying to them, yeah, look, look what I do every week. Look what I do over Valtteri. You know, you need to pay me whatever gazillions he's asking for. And then all of a sudden a kid goes in there and you can't say performs equally. You can't say performs better. Can't say performs worse. It was a new track and it was different, but certainly wheel to wheel the, the where they say the Mercedes is not strong in traffic. I think George proved that he's got more about him than Valtteri. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think it's difficult all around. I, I just want to pour a little bit of uh, cold water on the, the, the miracle of the George Russell uh, performance at the weekend. Before I do that, it's fair to point out that Van Dorn has been friend zoned. I mean, gosh, Mercedes, they were tagging him along all year, weren't they? No, you are special to us, Van Dorn. If only we didn't have Lewis and um, and Valtteri, we would totally have you inside our car. And then when it came down to it, no, 
he was just in the friend zone. So poor Stoffel van Dorn. Do genuinely feel sorry for him. His uh, his tweet may have ended his future chances of a of a career. He did a very kind of hey guys, um, I'm not I'm not I'm not disappointed. I'm not angry. I just you know I thought it would be me. You know, given that I've given up all this time for the year and all that kind of stuff. It was a very very passive aggressive tweet. Um, maybe he he thought that his time with Mercedes is definitely ended now. Um, the the cold water I want to point poor at the weekend, and, and someone tell me if I'm way off the mark here, is he looked good in FP1, FP2. Both those sessions, there was clear issues with Bottas that indicated he was still relatively fast compared to, to George Russell. Um, AWS, as we know, the oracle of all things predicting. How do they know that? How do they know that? AWS. Oh, that advert's killing me. Um they were they were saying Bottas is faster after Friday when everyone was getting all excited. Every session um, on, on Saturday, Matt, they they it looked like Bottas had the measure of George Russell. Bottas had a bad start. That's all on him. But he was patient in the first stint, was catching in the second stint, and then we can't say anything after the safety car because he had his own old tires put back on his on fire brakes, whilst George Russell had a brand new set of of mediums eventually put on. So all this talk of, oh, it was a great overtake round the outside by Russell, but that was not a fair fight between those two. I, I'm just really surprised if everybody is taking, like, oh, the contract negotiations now have to change based on that. Lewis Hamilton's stock is now diminished based on that. So I, I just wanted to pour that little bit of, of cold water, Matthew. I'm not, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking a fight. I'm just, I'm just saying there's those factors. Almost as if I've touched a nerve there. Oh, so sorry, sorry. <laughs> With the responsibility of managing the show gone, I, I'm, I'm free to rant. That's the problem. Free to rant, yeah. So, uh, yes, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I don't know, Valtteri, I don't, on the Friday, was he faster than George? He, he had all his track times deleted because yeah. he was going faster, but he was going off track to go <laughs> faster. Um George was, you know, I mean, I know this has been done to death over the last few days, but he had size two small shoes on. He had his seatbelt cutting into him. He didn't know which buttons to press. He didn't even know where the overtake button was at one point. Um, So putting all those things together, then, um, you know, you have to say that, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to say, but there's one thing for sure that you can't now turn around and say that, um, I'm not going to say that. Go on, oh, move on. No, don't oh, no, no. No, you can't get away with that. We, not we when I'm wait. in charge. We can wait. Spit I was going to say that George is, prob- is a better um, person to be in that second Mercedes than Valtteri Bottas. Um, no. And would potentially score more points. I don't think anyone's I, arguing with that, but tell us why you think that. Uh, I, 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 same reasons as you. <laughs> I don't know. I speak, as I've said to you before, I speak to people and I hear lots of different things. You know, I, I, I famously on here said that I thought Esteban Ocon was going to get in that second seat. And I know that um, he is still um, told and is still destined that, um, and this has been going on for two years now, that he and George will be the two drivers in the Mercedes um, at the point that Lewis decides that he's going to uh, hang up his boots, um, that those two are the, are the two that Mercedes are, um, are backing. You know, they've, They've loaned Esteban to Renault. Um, he certainly, they certainly didn't sign him. So he's loaned to Renault to, to continue to, to work in F1. And um, we know that that was largely because of what happened to him at Racing Point. Um, and it was a bit of a last minute thing. Um, 
So, you know, I think Lewis is still clearly the the best driver there and uh, and he's going to pick and choose when he wants to walk away. And I think Mercedes, as I've, as I've said many, many times, Mercedes just needs to make sure that when Lewis makes that decision, that they've got the best people lined up to to go into that car. And I think based on the weekend's performance, however you want to word it, whether it, you know, old tires, not old tires, the way that um, the car was reacting in traffic, um, qualifying start, managing gaps, all those sort of things. I think that George proved that he is, uh, he's definitely competent. Yeah, he's competent. And, and this is very much a problem of Mercedes own making through that one pit stop. Cause without it, we'd have a much clearer thing, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think the real issue here is we are foolishly thinking about formula one teams like their sporting endeavors when the reality is they are marketing endeavors. Mm-hmm. And so when we say the optics, um, you know, as a sportsman, you'd be like, no, show me the data. And yeah, I can tell you about us wasn't allowed to use DOS in the first practice session because Mercedes is getting ready for next year when they won't have it. Yeah. He was testing different parts for the team and that's yeah. why he was behind the eight ball so much on the Friday. And he was obviously faster and qualifying even though Russell did a very, very good job. And as you say, he he proved eminently competent, but he had an extra lot of help from the team to appear that way. But the problem is uh, because Formula One is marketing, those optics really kind of do matter now. Uh, looking at the live chat, Matt, and I've just realized that I probably have to do the comment of the week and stuff, don't I? Oh, man. Yes. Now, now I'm appreciating what you do. This is terrible. Um, Pete Shillou's... How do you read all these names? Uh, Bottas does often say he's disappointed after a race, so he hasn't driven optimum very often. So, I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, there's a pattern. Now, it's hard to feel like he isn't done, isn't it? He'd be a great signing at Williams, wouldn't he? Oh, don't mature, he couldn't go back there. Yeah, he's got, he's got a mature hire. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his knowledge. He can go back there, help them set up the car. So Matt, move. Matt, when do we get to ask him about Perez and stuff? I think I think now, oh, he brought up Perez and he brought up my favorite thing, which is imagine the possibilities that we could be going into next year with Perez and Ocon at Racing Point. Instead, they're <laughs> going to have Stroll and Vettel. <laughs> yep. Good car, though. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> They'll have a good car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I... Um... There's so many uh, nuanced little bits of that question. I think uh, I don't think Vettel is as bad as he's uh, he's performing this year. There's, I think there's lots going on there. I think he is to a large extent checked out. I think well, I know Ferrari are not uh, are not involving him in anything. You know, they're obviously putting all their weight behind uh, Charles. Um, so he's not as bad as, as as bad as he's he's showing at the moment. Um, you just said the very wise words that marketing is a big thing in Formula One. I think having Vettel at Aston Martin is is huge um, for that side of things. Um, maybe, you know, a Vettel-Perez uh, partnership would have been a little bit better, but we know that's not going to happen because of, uh, because of who Lance's father is. Um, as far as Perez, Red Bull, the initial question, I, you know, I've made no uh, qualms about the fact that I, I think that that's where he'll end up. Um, for next year. Um, I don't know that. And it's not, this is, this is, this is based on, uh, a few conversations and, a, and, and a few different things. Um, but I think that, uh, 
I think it was almost agreed a while back, and then for some reason they uh, there was someone maybe higher up the the chain of command that put the brakes on it. Um, but I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do it now. Um, they've publicly said that they're going to keep Albon within the family, um, but you know that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a in a racing seat, and it doesn't necessarily mean that he's at Red Bull. Have they got a Formula E team? Have they? Is that? Is that what they say? <laughs> Obviously, I've got my hopes up massively for, for Perez to Red Bull. The, the overriding uh, source of hope for me is not only that, that you and another source have been saying to me for three months that the deal is all but done. Uh, I know uh, Matt Trumpets has a, a source where he keeps pouring cold water on that. And also, Joe Sayward keeps saying here... Um, no, it's not going to happen either. Matt, your, your cold water um, on it, is that not accurate? Uh, my cold water is a specific commercial interest, a conflict between Perez sponsors and Red Bull sponsors. And I think uh, I'm, I think were that not the case, then I think it would have already been a done deal. Um, but were it to be impossible, I think that Albin probably already would have been like confirmed yeah, And so neither of these have happened. And so I yeah. can only conclude that maybe someone is still trying to work towards a solution at this point. So there are ways around that. So I'll give you a great example from um, from back in the Lotus days. So when we did the deal, um, or when Pasta came in to Lotus, he was obviously sponsored by PDVSA, um, which is a big petrol company from Venezuela. Um, and Roman was uh, sponsored by Total. Um huge clash there obviously um and we and you can you can look this up after the podcast but we actually went to bernie and got special dispensation so that if you look at our car from 2014 and probably 2015 the car was black with red mirrors the red mirrors had white writing on them on roman's car it said total and on Uh. pastor's car it said pdvsa five letters white on red um, and you have to get special dispensation to drive two different liveries. And we had to do that because Total could not stomach the fact that if they had a picture of Roman's helmet, it would say PDVSA in it and vice versa for PDVSA. So there are ways of working these things out. Um, we equally, when we went to Mercedes engines, um, Total were um, a fairly big sponsor. So we went from Renault to Mercedes. Um, and the Mercedes power unit only works with um, Petronas fuels. Um, or it's 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 tuned to work with Petronas fuels. And they said to us that we would be allowed to put the Petronas fuel in total barrels at the back of the garage so that there was no conflict in in how it looked. So there's ways around these things. Um and I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that that there is a way around this one. They could be they could be two big um you know heads butting together, but there are ways around these things. But exactly as Matt just said, the fact that neither Perez has been announced or album's been announced, I think is strange. Um, and something is clearly going on in the background. So I'm I'm glad that you mentioned uh, fuels there because um halfway through the show we are going to Unfortunately, we're going to interrupt you for a little while, Mr. Carter. I do apologize. And the audio download people, the non-patrons, will hear a a five-minute follow-up segment uh, on fuels and where me and Matt are going to talk about SO fuels so that, you know, uh, we can eat dinner at Christmas. Uh, How much of a difference does the fuel uh, make? (laughs) You're laughing at me. How much difference does the fuel make in a race team? So Red Bull have an SO fuel. 
uh, it's made by the same engineers and designers. Uh, however, you know, it's it's not the same as the road fuel, but you could take Formula One fuel and put it in your car and and and, and drive home according to our sources at uh, Red Bull. D- is there ever kind of any doubt when you're picking fuel? Do you go, that is a major differentiator or is it more about the contract and commercial side? Um, well, from my experience, you don't get the choice. Oh, okay. So Ferrari engines come with Shell fuel, Mercedes comes with Petronas, and Renault comes with, uh, well, it was Total. They changed to uh, Castro, I think. Um, so as I said, when we were, when we were Mercedes, we, were, we had to use Petronas, but it was a conflict with Total. So Petronas said you can stick it in Total, um, Total barrels. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference through the year. The amount really? of uh, advancements in the fuel is uh, is crazy. Yeah, I know. I remember we would be told um, we would be told by Mercedes, less so by Renault because the engine was terrible. <laughs> we would be told by Mercedes regularly through 2015 yeah. that we would be getting a 10 brake horsepower uplift for the next race, and it was nearly nine times out of ten was coming from an advancement in the fuel. Um, and one great story, actually, um, one of the mechanics, when we first got the Mercedes power unit delivered, um, so I remember going to, uh, to HPP with, uh, with Nick Chester, who was my chief designer when we signed the deal with Mercedes and, uh, they wheeled the Mercedes engine in on a, on a trolley into the boardroom. And he was, uh, he was absolutely blown away. It was as if, uh, a naked woman had been wielding or something. He was absolutely his jaw hit the floor, and he was absolutely aghast at the beauty of the at the uh, at how small how they managed to package the everything within it. Um, that was 2014 to 20. Is it going from a 2014 Renault to a 2015 Mercedes? Yeah. And then when we first had the engine delivered with the fuel to do to do our first fire up, one of the mechanics came to me and uh, or I went down to 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 witness the fire up, and he was talking and he said they'd spilt a small amount of fuel on the floor. Um, with Total Fuel, it was it, you spilt it. It was normal. He spilt the Petronas on the floor and it evaporated instantly. So, and he, as an engineer, as mean- an engine engineer that had been in and around fuels in F1 for all his career, mm. was gobsmacked. Does, was blown away. Does that mean it's got a higher or lower ethanol percentage? N- far way above my pay grade i don't know all i i was just i thought it was cool i thought it was like wow that's uh <laughs> and he was like yeah there's there's definitely something there's definitely something in this fuel so uh M- yeah matt knows about Long stuff like that what would that suggest you- to you well uh, the the quick evaporation um i don't know I, I mean i'd actually have to think on that a little bit but like you, you, you'd think it would be more of an alcohol-like fuel that it would maybe combust more rapidly, that it, it would become vapor more easily at a lower temperature, meaning that you'd probably get better perfusion of the chamber as combustion approached and a more even burn as a result. But there are also, I mean, there, there are strict chemical limits as to what you can put in these fuels. Mm. might be cleaner. It might be the kinds of additives they were using relative to other um, uh, petroleum manufacturers that are are major sponsors. But I know that Summers has been on at some length about just how important it is that your fuel works together with your engine. And I believe that there was a divergence between Red Bull and Renault where they had, um, they had, I think at the time was it mobile one sponsor and insisted on using mobile one fuel versus total at Renault. And, and they, did suffer for it uh, from a performance point of view, but for which they blamed Renault, I believe. 
Yeah, of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is, it's, it's, there's definitely a, uh, there's, there's definitely, I remember as well with, uh, with Renault and Total, there was always a lot of talk about them. And again, this is going to, uh, is going to massively uh, reveal my under knowledge <laughs> of engineering, but something to do with the knock. There was, we were having an issue with, with the Renault engine with knock. Um, and they we kept know. doing these upgrades that made the knock better. We know what that is. We know all easier. about knock, don't we, Matt? We know all about knock related performance. Okay. Knock related performance loss, Matt. Have you frozen on us? Oh, he has. Uh, in that case, it, I'll tell you about <laughs> knock related performance loss is where the fuel uh, ignites in places that you don't want it to. You want it to only ignite in the correct place uh, at the top of the, the cylinder's cycle. If it explodes in the wrong place, that can cause uh, a, a loss of um, engine life and... It's inefficient, which is why SO Supreme 99 Fuels uh, is, is so, uh, so good because it does inhibit knock-related performance. So, seamless. That was seamless. It was, wasn't it? And then Matt has unfortunately dropped out of the call, which is something that I could not have, have predicted. Uh, but um, where should we take this conversation then? We were um, well out of our depth there, Spanish. Right, no, no. I had learned and rehearsed those things. So everything, Excellent. it will be absolutely uh, fine. Um, I, I want to talk, I think, about um, uh, the, the driver market because uh, Perez yes. made a comment that the fact that he wasn't in... F1 or or perhaps potentially wouldn't have a seat in F1 showed that Formula 1 doesn't have the best drivers and beautifully he had Ocon on one side who had lost out to you know paid drivers in that market mm-hmm. in the last year and and Lance Stroll, uh, Stroll to the left-hand yeah. side who looked like he just couldn't wait for that that line of questioning to end he was in fact he was on his phone and I think he he, he exuded the 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 sort of vibe of please don't talk to me please don't talk to me um so you know the broader thing that i've been bringing up and upsetting people about is i i think we might have the the weakest uh field for for some time next year and that the pay driver situation has gotten a little out of hand um oh, yeah yes i i guess to it to a certain extent um but you have to remember that Perez is a paid driver, um, and no. he. This is the this is the bizarre thing. He brings more money than a lot of those other drivers on the grid, um, and that's the bit that just doesn't make sense to me. Is that he does bring money, and he is obviously a consistent driver who's shown time and time again the, his his capabilities. And that's the bit that I don't really understand, and I don't really get why someone hasn't picked up on him. Um, I think it's a little bit like what happened to Ocon two seasons ago and the cards have just fallen in a certain way. And at the time that all the, what's a, what's a better analogy, the, 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 the music stopped and, and there's no seats left. Um, so it's just, it's just played out in a way that has been really unfortunate for him. Um, as we keep talking about, there's one seat left, which I, even to me even sounds bizarre that there's only one seat left. Um, but that's it. You know, he's he's got that seat. He's got, he brings with him, let's not call him a pay driver. Let's say that he brings with him a Thank commercially you. attractive amount of money um, <laughs> from his sponsor, from Mexico. Um, you know, and he's not, he's not shy to talk about that. Um, and I know for a fact that, you know, Red Bull have been talking to some of his sponsors to make sure that it's, uh, it is what it is. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he he keeps talking about how he's got a seat for 2022 or he's got a plan for 2022 if he doesn't come back in 2021. Um, 
I still think that there's a strong possibility that he's going to end up in that Red Bull car. Um, the question about pay drivers, I think the quality of the field is right up there at the moment. It may be not a question of pay drivers. It may just be a question of uh, of the number of drivers that there are. Um, yes, so, yeah, you know, 20, so, only 20. You know, so many of those young drivers that have come through have, have, have shown themselves to be very, very capable. You know, the Landos and the Leclercs and the George Russells, and the, you know, they've all come through at a similar time. So, you know, there's only so much space. And if Kimi Raikkonen keeps hanging on in there till he's 60, then, you know, there's, <laughs> there's not much space at the top end and not much space at the bottom. Hello, everyone. Spanners and Trumpets here. We just want to pause to talk about fuel with our friends Esso, who have launched a new 99-octane fuel, Esso Synergy Supreme Plus 99. And this is a new fuel that you can get at the petrol pump and put into your your vehicle. You have a choice between the one I always go for, which is just the normal one, and I always eye over to the right mat and I look at the special premium fuels and I go, ooh, should I treat myself today? Well... If you own a modernish car, you probably should because the Supreme, <laughs> yeah. the 99 octane, the biggest number you can get, which always, you know, as an American tickles my fancy, mm-hmm. uh, is also going to be the very best for maintaining your engine long term. Well, okay, so I do have a modernish car. It's four years old now, and I've realized with the lack of mileage I've done since working from home, especially in the year of COVID. Um, I think I'm going to have that car forever. I don't think I'm going to replace a car, this car, for a long time. So I really do have an incentive to start looking after it. But how does putting in the Big Bang performance fuel affect me in my, you know, my small SUV? Well, actually, we should probably call it a Big Burn fuel, not a Big Bang fuel, because one of the key differences between the 99 Supreme that you're talking about and your standard fuel is going to be the octane. And the octane number at 99 means it's incredibly knock resistance. Basically, what it means is that it burns instead of bangs. And for a modern engine with a high compression ratio, and especially if you run a turbocharger, bang is the last thing you want. Last time you touched on some of the additives that went into the fuels to make them... You said cleaning the engine. What does that mean? So it means that as it's going through my engine, it's also giving it a bit of a wipe down with a shimmy cloth? Yeah, absolutely. So you have these valve inlets, um, and especially if you have a direct injection engine, you have these inlets that the fuel flows through. And because of the exhaust generated when the fuel burns, they tend to, over time, collect carbon. And other, and just basically other crud from the combustion process. Mm. So the fuel that we're talking about, the 99 plus, has a, has double the amount of detergent to keep that super clean. And that is going to improve performance. And because the performance is improved, you should see not only performance, but uh, uh, you should see your mileage not dropping over time or dropping less. Talking about this maintenance makes me think of Formula One reliability, where the engines now have to last nearly a third of the season. It's only three Formula One engines over the 21 or 23 races next season. Now, this isn't the same fuel, the SO Synergy Supreme Plus 99, that goes into uh, the Red Bull car, but it is the same team that produce it. And I wonder how much of a consideration the cleaning properties of the fuels are for the Formula One teams. You've got to make these engines last all that, all that mileage. Well, it's not just the cleaning And interestingly, you could, if you wanted to and could get your hands on it, you could run Formula One fuel in your family carrier. 
But what they also add is uh, performance enhancers in Formula One. Yeah. And they add agents to reduce friction and to help keep the the cylinder at the correct temperature to keep it from getting too hot, which is one way you can actually develop knock in an engine, believe it or not. So tell me about the ethanol-free stuff we've been seeing. Now, it is available most places around the country, but is ethanol bad? Is that a new evil I should be aware of? Well, ethanol is, is neither bad nor good. Ethanol is an additive that is, uh, it's a biofuel. It's derived from biological sources. But the difference is ethanol has a lower calorific value than petrol does. In other words, it doesn't have as much energy. The energy density, we would say, uh. is less. So if you add it to a liter of fuel, you won't go as far if there's ethanol in it as you would if it was straight petrol. Okay, so to summarize, high octane means if I have got a if I've got a performance car that is made for high octane fuels, I'm going to get more performance. For my car, which I have to state to you now, Matt, my car is not designed for high performance. However, I don't want those knocks. I don't want knock-related loss from the fuel exploding in the wrong place. Um, So the high octane helps me there? Yeah, indeed it does. And it will help your engine last longer. Right. And and it should help. Um, you should get better mileage out of it as well. And if I can get hold of the ethanol-free fuel, that means I'm getting a higher petrol density so I can go further. Energy density. And yeah, that was a very good swing and a miss, I have to say. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. How close was I? You were very close. You said petrol density, and it's actually energy density. Ah, fair enough. Hey, do you know what? That's good enough for Missed Apex podcast. And look... If you fill up, if you decide to go to the the fancy end of the fuel pump, uh, you will get six times your nectar points if you fill up and pay using the Esso app. So go and try the new fuel at Esso, uh, the new 99 Octane Fuel Energy Synergy Supreme Plus 99 to unlock an extra level in your engine. It's at all sites nationwide except the Northwest. Esso Synergy Supreme Plus 99 Fuel Now. Go on. Give it a go. Okay, back to our chat with Matthew Carter. Uh, okay, well, the thing is, how how close are we to other motorsport series? So um, much publicised has been Formula E uh, with, you know, taking on Formula One rejects. It feels like an unfair tag, but then you've got Formula... Uh, sorry, uh, W Series, who is now supporting F1. They've announced their calendar for 2021. And that series, despite any kind of gender issues, you know, obviously they're trying to redress a balance and get women into motorsport. But take gender out of that. They've got just about the only top flight motor series that is on pure ability and not oh. and not drivers bringing money in. How How does that, how does it work? If all other series seem to need drivers to bring money in, and goodness knows we've seen that with Bradley Philpott, you know, our own Bradley Philpott, who's struggled to get into BTCC, who uh, who has, um, you know, worked his way up the Nordschleife of VLN NLS ladder. How come W Series are able to do that? And, and why why can't we do that in more series to get driver talent through? I honestly don't know the answer. I mean, it's obvious, it's, it's clearly down to... 
the budget that W Series has got. You know, they 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 somehow have they've got they've raised the money from elsewhere to be able to um, to bring these the these these this talent through. Um, and it is purely on talent. I, I was listening to um, uh, Matt Bishop. That's his name. The guy who was, he used to be the comms guy at McLaren and he's now at the W series and he yeah. was talking and, uh, and he was saying that, you know, they've, they've got um, drivers there that are literally Uber drivers during the, during the week. And then they fly them in from wherever and stick them in the same car as, as, as everyone else. So that's clearly a great model. Um, but it's how you get the finances to stack up. That's that's the issue. You know, it's these. You know, to to run a team in F one, you know, it's it's great with the salary cap. But to run a team in F one, there's there's a there's a budget that you need. And um, if a driver is good and he's bringing money as well, then um, then that's a huge that's a huge draw. Welcome back to the the stream, Matt. Everything okay in New York? What's going on? You just made me work. Oh, I think it was aliens this time. Oh, okay, you wasn't never your know. Fault. It might have been Godzilla. <laughs> eh, these things happen. They do. They do. They do. Uh, where do you want to take us next, Matt? We've just been talking about uh, W Series, um, and I think we've wrapped up all the Perez stuff too. Well, if we've talked about Perez and, and we've talked about W Series, and it was interesting. It sounded like you were talking about why they alone could afford yeah. to pay their drivers when in every other, and I, I, I don't know if you mentioned Magnuson's plate, he couldn't even get an IndyCar drive because his sponsor is mainly European, so he's going to wind up in IMSA with his um, uh, doing doing that, doing DPI for, I can't remember which team now, uh, because he can't, there's nothing for him in WEC because they're between regulations, basically. Um, it's, it's a perennial problem, but I think it would be because they signed a good TV deal, maybe? Was that the answer could be. yeah could be um i mean obviously it's a it's a i say obviously i'm pretty sure it's a spec series isn't it so there's yes. you know there's less money to be spent on development of the cars etc so um you know a few good sponsors it's it's a very very marketable um series so i'm guessing with a few good sponsors and a bit of money here and there then they can they can start to make it work but uh yeah as to why other series don't do it i mean it's it, it's not the series um you know, it, it's not Liberty that decide who drives the cars. You know, Liberty put the put the event on. It's the teams that decide who drive the cars, and the teams are the ones that have to make these decisions. So, you know, if you're running Williams, you know, do you take a a rookie who's got no money but is amazingly quick, or do you um, do you look towards someone like an, a, a Latifi whose whose father's got an awful lot of money? Uh, challenge from uh, a little blue shed in Bedfordshire. Um, so you were uh, an F1 team principal <laughs> in the times of uh, Bernie Ecclestone. He was still in charge of F1 at that time, correct? Yes. Are you telling me, Mr. Carter, and I will remind you, you are on oath, you have sworn on the shed. Uh, are you telling me he never had an influence on which drivers were going where? Uh, to my knowledge, no. Other than other than um, Carmen Jorda, our reserve uh, driver. Okay, I want to hear about that. Please, I think we've discussed it before. But he, uh, she was his goddaughter, or she was related. Oh no, you have not in said some that. Way, shape or form, and um, she went and did a test at McLaren and was uh, how do we word it? A little slow. Um, and then off she came pace. and did a test in our simulator. Yeah. She was a little off pace. She came to our simulator and she was a little off pace and. <laughs> And Bernie said, uh, could you possibly give her a uh, a role as a development driver? He would pay for her to travel to all the races. We didn't have to pay her a salary. Um, and I kind of looked at it and thought it was a reasonably good marketing 
uh, tool that we might get some people's eyeballs that wouldn't necessarily be interested in F1 for other reasons. And um, was widely mocked by my senior management. Um, but when I told them that it was kind of uh, Bernie that had suggested it was a good idea, we decided to go along with it. And um, yeah, she was uh, she wasn't very she wasn't very quick in the simulator. And uh, yeah, we she came she came to a few races for for us. There was um, one of the other development drivers got very angry and and started Marco tweeting. Marco Sorensen, right? Yeah. Okay, and he, Danish guy, and I think, and he was Marco um, Sorensen, and yeah. he was talking yeah. about. A, 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 he he said twelve seconds in the simulator, and that seemed ludicrous comment. at the time. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> okay, but just for the record, you haven't exactly told that story before, but I do remember at the time. Uh, before Mr. Apex started, I believe that was, we might have been doing other things in other forms. And before I knew you, uh, we were watching that at home and I definitely commented, whoever made that decision is a marketing genius. And on a, oh, se- on a serious note though, I kept pointing, and, and, and same as when Susie Wolf was testing as well, pointing to Carmen and Susie to my daughter and just saying, look, the helmet's about to come up. Look, it's, it's a woman in motorsport and it's not all boys. So that genuinely helped. Whatever your motivation, that genuinely helped. And I believe no, no, was... I believe that's part of the reason my daughter agreed to go karting with my son. Oh, I think that's brilliant. And I, I love that. And that was, when I say, um, when I say other markets, I, I, I don't necessarily mean guys that were tuning in just to look at it. I, I, sure. I, mean, I mean women as well. You know, yeah. it, it was hopefully opening up the doors to to different people from a purely selfish business point of view, I thought it would maybe open the doors up to some different sponsors um, that may want to get involved because they could, they could use her image. Um, so we did a lot, um, but unfortunately she, she, I got quite a lot of, I don't really know where to go with this. I got quite a lot of grief from my senior management. I sure. assured them that, <laughs> um, that it was done for the right reasons. I remember sitting down with her. So her manager Again, I don't know how much of this we go, go along with, but her manager is the guy who gives out the um, the trophies um, at the end of the race. Oh. So there's a guy who's always got a, um, a very, his name has escaped me for some bizarre reason, even though I dealt with him a lot. He's always got a shirt and tie on. And in COVID times, he's the guy that gives all the trophies sure. out to the to the drivers. And uh, he was her manager um, and he worked for Bernie. So he, and he was officially a manager. And I sat him and her down in my office and I said that this has to be credible. Um, you know, and you need to, you know, this is, you know, I've made a decision, you know, uncle Bernie's asked if we can do it. You know, I've, I've said that I'll do it, you know, it, but it has to be credible. You know, you need to come to all the meetings, you know, she, she was, our, I don't remember, I think what we called her. So Jolien was third driver. I think she was development driver or simulator driver or something like that. Development driver, maybe. Um, and that was what got Marco Sorensen's, um, goat a little mm, bit was I because, bet he was shuffled down the list effectively. Um, but again, a lot of that was, and I had a conversation with him about it. A lot of that was because um, I was having to pay for Marco to come to the races, whereas she was being paid or her flight was being paid for her pass was being given to me. So it was easier for me to say that she comes along rather than, rather than taking Marco. Neither of them were ever going to get in the car. Right. Um, that's interesting. And Matt, sorry, I know you want to move on to another subject, but it's my turn to interrupt you and, and derail the conversation. Uh, firstly, uh, Sydney uh, Thompson says, I want to root for women, but I'd rather root for a woman who could compete. 
brackets, same way I feel about Canadians. Oh, Sydney, that is naughty. Uh, the the other thing I wanted to ask you was about academy drivers. So, like, well, hang on a minute. Let me let me finish that because uh, there's there's more too. So. This is why I wasn't sure whether it's a good thing to go down, but I will do. Okay. So I said to her, it's got to be credible. We have a driver's meeting Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before the race. All the engineers in a room at the back of the racetrack with the two drivers, with Jolene would be in the, with, with her as well. And I said, you've got to be credible. You've got to be in that meeting. You've got to be making sure that you're paying attention, that you're, you're learning or understanding how a race team works. You've also got to wear team kit at all time. So Australia first race of the season she Mm -hmm. comes into the paddock in um basically a pair of hot pants and a very very small team branded t-shirt Team branded um but that's fine and then the i think it was the either the first or the second um debrief um meeting that we had with all the drivers all the engineers in this little sort of portable room at the back of the circuit in melbourne and we're all in there no sign of carmen so I was like, oh, do you know what? It's, you know, first race and she's not even made it on time to the debrief. So we're maybe five minutes into the debrief and she clatters into the room. Um, like the door opens, interrupts everything that's going on. And she's clearly sunburned. Um, so she then, she leaves after the end of the meeting. And I have to sit there and talk to the engineers, the mechanics, um, mm. And Some of the engineers it. and the backup engineers and the mechanics are women as well. And they were looking on, they were looking down on her performance as much as anyone else that was there. Her, her professional so, performance. Yeah. Her professional yeah. performance. Yeah. yeah. She didn't get in the car. She didn't, you know, she just, she turned up late. She turned up sunburned. She wasn't dressed appropriately, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just kind of looked down on. And, and from that moment onwards, I sort of, I didn't wash my hands of her, but I, uh, I basically said to her, you know, you've got to, if you're, if you're serious about this, then you need to really uh, up your game. Um, that's it. That's the end of the little conversation about her. But it it makes me wonder when they say, oh, such and such is a Ferrari Academy driver. Such and such is a Red Bull Academy driver, Mercedes Academy driver. Are, are these not just Bernie grandchildren or some such other? Uh, no, 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 not at all. Are you sure? I, funnily enough, I got sent an article because I'd forgotten this. So back in 2014, when we announced our Lotus Junior driver program. Yeah. Um, there's a list of all the guys. So back so six years ago, it's a list of the guys there that um, there was nine guys that we'd selected or that had been selected for our junior driver program. And then amongst them was Esteban Ocon and Alex Albon. Two of the nine are, are currently sitting in Formula One seats. And uh, Juan Manuel Carrera, the guy that was involved in the incident in F2 in Spa last year, he was one of them as well. So, um, and Jack Aitken, I think was there as well. So there's a, there's a few, um, you know, so, they were our junior drivers and it's, and it's a very rigorous program. Um, there are a few that keep through the net for whatever reason, whether it's money or it's uh, who, you know, not what, you know, but, uh, but generally I think they're there on merit. Uh, Perez was a Ferrari Academy driver. As I recall, I think the Academy drivers are, are genuinely competing for a measure of resource based a lot on a lot more, perhaps on merit, not to the point at which they get chosen, because that can that can vary depending upon your resource getting to there. Like if you have rich parents, you're much more likely to get to the point of being chosen as an academy driver because yeah. you get more training, you get the best equipment, you get the best coaches along the way. And we've had that discussion. But once you're chosen as an academy driver, you're competing with your with the other people in it for a, a, for a much more realistic shot at a at a Formula Three, Formula Two, Formula One seat and maybe a chance to move on to the big team. 
but what what I really wanted to say, I wasn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. But when you you were talking about development drivers, and you're like, oh, not a test driver, development driver, it made me think of trumpet players. You got three trumpet players. You got a solo trumpet, a first trumpet, and a principal trumpet. You don't have a trumpet one, trumpet two, trumpet three ever. And I think maybe drivers are just the same way. You have to just give them all different names. <laughs> different titles. So they all think they're equal. Is exactly. Because kind of we, we had, when I walked in there, we had Nico Prost there as well. He was our oh, yeah. simulator driver. Um, so yeah, we had like four or five of these uh, talented. I mean, there's some good names there. You know, Nico Prost. Um, Marco Sorensen was a very, very, I mean, he's done, I, I feel that, he, I mean, he went to Aston Martin, but I think he won his class in Le Mans last year. Um with with his team um so we had some good drivers but uh yeah I, th- I think the majority of them get there on on merit but um yeah, there's obviously money and merit involved right well then maybe we should go on before we run ourselves out of our imperial metric hour <laughs> and this will and, be an and, hour <laughs> and, and talk about sort of what the post-race tests are like i mean i know that uh, for example, Red Bull have scheduled uh, Tsunoda to drive for them, but not Albon. Oh, postseason tests. Postseason tests. And sort of like, can we read anything into any particular tea leaves there? And and from your point of view as a team principal, how did you use those tests to your maximum advantage? Uh, quick, 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 quick caveat there. Um, Tsunoda, we've known about here at Miss Apex for some time. Um, also, we think it's going to be Boemi. So I don't know if you want to make any significance into the fact that, you know, that Albon isn't listed, we don't think, as one of the Red Bull test drivers. And the fact that the whole schedule has now been thrown into chaos by Alonso being allowed in and everyone going, well, I want to go in as well. And Grosjean's going to get a turn as well. I'm going to put my hand up. I fancy a go. Um, The answer to the question is we didn't really put an awful lot of um, emphasis on the post-season Everyone's very, very tired. We actually ran a completely different team, ran the car for the post-season tests. We generally chucked a um, a young a young driver in there um, to give them a bit of experience. Um, and it was it was just kind of, you know, we'd test a few things that maybe we hadn't got onto the car during the season for whatever reason. Um, there was usually, I know they've already done it, but there was usually a Pirelli tyre test of some sort going on. Um, so it was kind of a wind down to the season, not really. I mean, you have to remember it's the end of it's the end of one year's car into another year's car. Can the bits that you've designed for the next year's car fit onto that car? If so, then yeah, chuck some on and do some area evaluation. If not, it's more about um, practicing a B team for the pit stops, for example. We did that at, uh, at those sort of things. So you've got your A team and your B team in the pit stops. Um, or we certainly did at Lotus. So um, so we had the B team there to practice. Uh, hang on. And, and which team do you think Mercedes were fielding uh, on that third stop at, at the weekend? It's, it's interesting. to, to like How, how hands-on were you? Hang on, Matt, get in as well, but add to the question. But how hands-on were you at pit stop training? Because that seems like an intense skill set. So we used to do, and I can't remember, when they used to wheel me out to business conferences and stuff, I used to know all these facts and figures. I think it was 4,000 practice pit stops a season we used Whoa. to do back at Enstone. Um, and you'd hear it. You'd hear it in my office. You'd hear the wheel guns going, and they would literally just, it was constant. There was, um, there was a little um, lawnmower engine in the back of one of the old chassis, and they would drive it in, stop it on there. And we would literally have A and B teams for all four wheels on and off, um, front jack, rear jack. Um, and you'd have people that were wanting to get on because they got paid more money if they were in the, if they were on the pit stop team. So you've got two, 
two um, sets of mechanics, but obviously you've only got one pit stop team. So you could have half and half. So half from, let's just take it as Lewis and Valtteri. So you, mm. you could have half from Lewis's side, half from Valtteri's side, and they'd all be competing to see who would get onto the pit stop team themselves. Um, wow. It's not a different pit stop team for Each well, driver. Wasn't Lotus. I don't think it is. It's not a different pit stop mm. team for a car. So you have one pit stop team. Now what I've heard from Mercedes is that they have found it was a fault with their radio, which has been there since three years ago that they've had the, they've had the radio system. And for some reason, the priority of messages that get, because the radios are insane during the race weekend. And I was only on about four or five channels, but you've got everything. So you've got the engine. I think we've, we've said this before, but you've got the engine guys at the back of the garage. So when we had a Mercedes engine, we would have guys from Mercedes. They'd be in Lotus kit, but they were from Mercedes factory. They're in the back of the garage. They're talking about the engine stuff. You've got all your engineers talking about the aero stuff. You've got the two guys that are speaking directly to the driver. You've got guys back in the UK that are monitoring other people's pit radio and reporting back to you. You've got, you know, then you've got your sporting director and your, and your strategist all talking at different times. So I used to have about five or six channels open. Um, and I certainly didn't have as many as the strategist or, or um, the sporting director, for example. Um, so there's a lot going on. And in that moment, when they call both cars in very, very last minute, you know, they've now realized that, um, I think Spanners is going to say, but I, th- I think they've realized that, that when people talk, then certain people were getting priority. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, yeah, so it looked like, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it looked like Russell had basically turned his radio on and left it on. And that meant that that had blocked other communications channels. So it looks like the drivers have priority such on a those Russell things. hater, aren't you? Well, yeah. Hamfosi Russell hater. Everything's his fault. Oh, it it is. Like and that. that's why he shouldn't get the seat, right, Spanners? Go ahead. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. And that's why Hamilton's brilliant and George Russell is terrible and so is everyone else except yeah. Hamilton and Perez. Because yeah, yeah, the argument you could make is that had Hamilton been in the seat, he'd been like, are you sure I need new tires? Hamilton would have refused that pit, pit stop on the safety car. He'd he would have spotted. Yeah. He would have spotted the initials on the tire as it was coming out of the garage. So, yeah. No. 
No, man, Bono. No, no I'm fine on these ties, man. I lost a championship in 2007, man. I'm going to be cool. I'm cool here. So I, I think if I'm correct about this, it's a radio transmit button. You hold it down to transmit, and then you let it go to talk. But I'm here to tell you that I've done some independent research today. Yep. I went back and watched both Russell's and uh, Botas um, pit lane camera from the F1 uh, from F1 TV, which I legally have here in the United States. And I can tell you that it was virtual safety car first. And this is really important because Russell clears the entire lap and he's exiting onto the straight and he's literally making the apex when they go safety car. Two se- three seconds later, Russell keys the radio in. And I think this is what killed them. He keys in do I stay out? Do I stay out? Two seconds later, Bono is doing his very excited box, 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 box. And he came in. And I think that his question about do I stay out because he could see the pit lane Mm. right there and knew that he didn't have a lot of time to get in. I mean, this whole thing happened in five seconds. Yeah. Now I think they, I think they automatically knew that if safety car was called, they wanted them in. And that's why the call was made straight away. I think the decision was made, but the call to the mechanics, I don't think, was really, uh, I think the order was being sorted when Russell said, do I stay out? Yeah. And that's what, that's what sent it all sideways for them. So I think from a technical point of view here, the difference is between does the driver transmission prioritize the team comms, which I think we're, we, we think it does. And then the other technical point of view is, do you have push to talk or do you have toggle on off? So uh, like, for example, on a military radio, if you have toggle on off, you have the ability to jam your whole network by toggling on and off. And I know this because on a United Nations tour, the, the, the Ukrainian, and I don't want to disparage Ukrainians, but they, they, uh, they compromised the whole of the UN network uh, for an evening and they kept going on the radio and going, I see dead people, much to the annoyance of the British delegation that was out there. Uh, if it was a toggle on off and he just didn't know that and he'd left it on on and that prioritized the transmission, that is a perfectly understandable mistake. That is not him being an idiot. That's the kind of mistake that you make once and and you never make it again. So no one's saying that that happened because of George Russell. I, 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 we're not, are we? I, I think that's, we're not. That's I was waiting for Mr. Carter to reply to that. Yeah, that, that's not how I understood. I, I, I may be wrong. I hadn't understood it was anything to do with the drivers. I, I thought they'd said, I heard Andrew Shovelin talking about it this morning. And I thought he'd said that um, there was a priority within the team and everyone was speaking at the same time. Mm. And certain people, certain mechanics didn't hear the call and certain mechanics did. Some didn't, some didn't. And oh, apparently... Really? George ended up with two of his own tyres and two of Valtteri's tyres. Is what I heard this morning, but I don't know. Maybe I, I can imagine. I can imagine that it would be push to talk because uh, sorry, it would be toggle on off because push to talk in an F1 car, I think, would be a nightmare. We've experienced that from sim racing. It's it's very very difficult, and and uh, we have much def- less well, at stake. It, in the Lotus, it was definitely push to talk. Was it for the drivers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. That's what and, I said. And and um and and so I don't listen to you. I only listen to Mister Carter. So was yeah, there was there any ever pressure from the drivers? We, we always hear, "Don't talk to me, man. I, I'm in the corner. Talk to me on the straight, man." Uh, was there times when you wanted to talk to a driver and they really were like, "No, I'm going through maggots, packets. I'm not talking to you." So I never used to speak to them. So we had a very um, 
I was going to say strict hierarchy, but yeah, we had a fairly strict hierarchy. So it was only that their race engineers would speak to them. If that wasn't working, they would, their chief engineer could, could sometimes overrule and speak to them. Um, and at the very, very, if it was really bad, Alan Permain would come on uh, and speak to them. So he was the one that I don't know if you remember him telling Kimmy to get out the FM way um, <laughs> that was prior to me. That was, that was 2013, I think. Yes when Roman was coming up on him and he refused to move out the way and he told him to get out the effing way. Um, so we had quite a strict, you know, there was only certain people that spoke to the drivers, but even so, yes, I mean, Roman used to regularly tell us to stop talking to or tell the, the, the engineer to stop talking to him. And, um, you know, when he did, I remember him once crashing under the safety car when he was trying to warm his tires and he blamed it on the engineer. He said that he was talking to him too much. Um, <laughs> Pastor, if you remember, he, he crashed once coming around a corner cause he was, fiddling with some switches and he China. just didn't turn the wheel and, China, and final up. corner wasn't it yeah so uh yeah so we had a few we had a few of those uh, oh, were you in charge for that race that, that that's yes. infamous that's funny like how did that go down in the garage uh, it wasn't in the race was it i think it, it was, was in practice I think. practice yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah i just well i think there's a very famous piece of footage of one of our engineer our mechanics with his head in his hands um and i think that was how we all felt it was just like oh it was uh listen it is it is what it is it's uh there's a lot going on and i think if you listen to if you do have f1 tv there's a there's a lot going on, on the radios um so can't blame them Matt, Poor we, we, i know you've been a, a proponent of um f1 tv and the app for, for ages me and my boy have only just caught up this weekend is the first time that we watched it in a mobile app and we had it set so the commentary was off but all team radio got fed through and uh, it was incredible. I mean, what an insight. We heard there the, the Bono line when George Russell was getting upset uh, after the pit stop and then before the puncture. Bono actually came up and went, you're showing emotion. Like reminding him, no, you're showing emotion. And that didn't go out on the broadcast, but it was there on the team radio. And you suddenly go, oh, my goodness, there is a philosophy at Mercedes. Be calm on the radio. Yes, I know we have to whom it may concern. Yes, we have. My tires are gone, man. But there is a calmness to all those transmissions at Mercedes. Well, I will Sorry. Ha- happily do my best, Botas, because I just listened to the radio transmissions from that. And he leaves that pit stop. And now understand he pulls in. They put tires on. They pull tires off. His, his wheel catches on fire. They put tires on. He drives off. <laughs> and his engineer comes on the radio. And he's like, um, so... And and he and he and Bottas goes, what was that? And he goes, um, so you're on your old tires now. Why? Why? <laughs> um, we'll discuss that later. And he's like, could you say that again, please? He's like, you're on your old tires now. And he just drives around the corner and he goes, what the f was that? But calmly, <laughs> but, uh, was, yeah. but but literally in that same tone of voice that I just used. So even though it was only four or five years ago that I was there, we didn't have everything broadcast. So we knew that other teams, so, so as I said earlier on, that we would listen to other teams' radio. So you could log into other teams' radio via the, the pit wall, but it wasn't broadcast. You know, you could, you, but you knew if you said something choice that it would get picked up and it would get selected. But there wasn't the same, yeah. the F1 app where you can literally – you can sit in the in in yeah. car with the driver and listen to everything for the whole race if that's what you really want to do. Everything I think is every time the the transmission comes through, the app 
sends an alert and you can choose whether every single one pops up. So what we had in my house was I had headphones on for the TV. He could hear the TV as well. But it would for me, it would block out the team radio because he wanted to listen to all the team radio coming through. And he'd go, Dad, Dad, you won't believe what Russell's just said. So that, it was quite fun. It was good. It was cool. Yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> I think we're getting to the end of our allotted time, Matt. And for once, maybe we stick to our hour-ish. Ish. Ish. Something like that. I don't know. We, we, we can count. We can count. I think we can count in um, analog time instead of digital time and get away okay. with that claim. Okay. Okay. We can do that. Uh, in the show notes today, though, Matt, I'm just giving you, I'm stalling to give you time to, to think of a witty and pithy outro in time to the outro music. But in our show notes t- today, uh, there is a, a little survey which you can fill out. And I have been told not to say that your answers to that will influence whether or not we get further sponsorship deals. However, please just, just fill out the survey for us. That would be great. And, uh, and and just say you loved it and we nailed it and it was great. And then, and then maybe people will want to, um, you know, be attracted to come to speak to uh, Miss Apex. When they have things that they want to push and promote, um, we would be very, very grateful to that. And thank you for our patrons keeping us company in the live stream uh, today. We never do patron-only live streams on a Sunday. But I don't know, Matt, the, the tone was... It, it's a more relaxed tone when it's just our patrons, isn't it? Uh, on, on an off-Sunday show. Yeah, it's a bit more chill. It's a bit more relaxed. And, and I think it's a bit more fun. You know, it's like an extra special treat in your work day, which I think we've managed to hit a reasonable proportion of the Northern Hemisphere's work day with this timing. And, and also on a Sunday, it is so busy. It's so intense that just uh, hunkering down to, you know, our 700 closest friends is just that little bit more. It's relaxing. It's anxiety defeating. Yeah. So I've, I've got the chat open for one of the first times because I'm on a bigger screen here Ooh. and uh, I see someone's just asking there about Grosjean. And um, yeah, I, I, again, I just, you know, I know you guys will have, uh, will have done this to death, but uh, you know, just from my point of view, watching it was, uh, was, was, was uh, devastating to a certain extent as soon as I realized who it was. And uh I think. Oh, sorry. Uh, right. think, yes, the crash. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the crash. Yeah. I thought so you no, meant like the was, Ericsson uh, yeah, thing and the a... thing he blamed on his engineer talking too much, not the life-threatening no, crash no, no, through no, the no, onco. No, no. no I, yeah. I think they're. Uh, I think that's what you're referring to. I guess it is. But yeah, uh, yeah no, it was. A, it was crazy. It was a horrible. Uh, it was a horrible uh, minute or so. And uh, I sent a message to him, which obviously he didn't reply to for a few days. And uh, I sent a message to the guy who runs Hass, and he gave me a thumbs up before the restart. Um, oh, yeah. which I think I passed on to you guys. Um, but yeah, I got a thumbs up before the restart started to say that he was, because uh, obviously we saw him going, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it was a crazy thing. And, um, you know, it's testament to, to all the safety stuff that we do that I used to hate doing, you know, the, um, there's a thing called the squeeze test that you do on the chassis. Um, so the chassis, which you, which I, I know on this podcast before I referred to it as, as a coffin shape or the survival cell, but the bit that was left of Roman's car. Um, every year you do a squeeze test on that from um, the side. So you uh, you put it in a like a giant pincer, if you like, and uh, and you squeeze and you have to put a, a, a load onto the side of it. And uh, obviously you're trying to make it as light as possible, but also be as strong as possible. And I remember every year, go into that squeeze test and hearing the cracking noises of the layers of carbon fiber. Ugh. But as long as it didn't fail, then you were, then you were, you were okay. And your chassis had passed the squeeze test. And, uh, and every year us trying to get it that little bit lighter and, 
you know, all those things. And then you watch something like that and you realize that, uh, you know, it should be, uh, it should be as thick and as heavy and as strong and as, uh, as all those things than, than, than it should be. But, but still incredible that he walked away from that. Incredible. Yeah, it is. And I think I speak for everyone who was watching when I say <laughs> that we were all grateful for the hard work that we were all grateful for the hard work of the FIA and the safety committee and, and being committed to the halo and, and all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes a lot of which people just don't know about in order to make this sport as safe as it reasonably can be. I mean, physics dictates if you're going to send that much mass at that much speed, it's never going to be entirely safe, but they don't leave all that much on the table these days. And no, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, all those, all those strategy group meetings that I went to the motorsport world council, you know, there's a big portion of all those meetings, which in hindsight, I used to look back on and think, oh, you know, this is dragging on. But a lot of it was about safety. A lot of it was about different things that were coming in and different um, ideas that they have. And Charlie at the time was was always pushing, was always pushing for more and more safety um, to mm. make sure that, you know, again, it's it's been done to death. But to look at the aftermath of that and to realize that uh, that someone that I know really well, that I had dinner with hundreds and hundreds of times that I worked with for three years, walked away from it was... Uh, it was crazy it was it was it really was crazy and i will say from a personal note i don't think i said it on the show but uh, my boy looked at that and he turned to me somewhat tongue-in-cheek and went yeah dad i i don't think i want to be an f1 driver anymore because <laughs> yeah. it was just that frightening it was shocking it really was shocking yeah it's anyway we may have ended on a bit of a downer there <laughs> no he lived it's all positive it's all good it's all good he lived he it's was good. fine it's he had a few they burns. can do what they do it's good that they can do what they do. I remember, I mean, obviously I was at Lotus when, uh, when, when Bianchi had his accident. Um, and the aftermath of that was, was crazy. was, uh, you know, the, the strategy meetings after that and the, and the way that everyone sort of mobilized to make sure that this will never happen again was incredible to see. It really was incredible to see. Um, and hopefully you know, we don't see that again. Yeah, and hopefully it'll be a long time before we see something like Grosjean's accident again as well. And with that positive note, we come to the <laughs> end of our show. So be sure and follow us on Twitter at Missed Apex Podcast. Spanners, where can we possibly find you? And I'm sure you barely have any followers, right? Oh me, certainly oh. not any new ones you want to tell us about. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need people to follow me. But if you want to, I guess you can go to twitter.com forward slash spanners ready. And, and okay, I, I wasn't going to like, it's not a brag, but I was very flattered that the box to box productions, the drive to survive crew followed my account and, and liked uh, a production tweet of mine. And obviously those guys have kind of changed the landscape of F1 fandom and had that inside look into Formula One. So yes, I may have been a little bit giddy in our WhatsApp group, like, oh, box to box films, liked my thing. And don't forget, you can always, I guess this is a private stream, but when the public hears it, don't forget you can sign up to Patreon to support us as well so we can make even more of this excellent content for you and make it available sooner. And you get the Slack community as well, which is its own special thing. And finally, Mr. Carter, you're apparently all over social media, are you not? Um, no. Again, no. <laughs> Come on, man. Ah, well then. In that case, you can find me. I'm at MattPT55 on the Twitters. And this has been another excellent episode of Missed Apex Podcast. 
conversation of the week, oh, says somebody. Oh, no. You forgot. You forgot. I forgot. You forgot. I forgot. So this is my fault now. Hang on. I've got, I'll record that. It is recorded. It's being recorded. Yes. The record will show that Trumpets forgot comment of the week. And that's it. We're fading out. Fade out to black. Editor, fade, fade out now. Fade out the audio now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 